Welcome to Transformation Church RVA. This sermon is a part of our series called Advent, All Longings Satisfied. In this series, we will be focusing on the hope, joy, peace, and love that only Jesus brings into the world. As we look back on the promise fulfilled in the birth of Jesus the Messiah, may we also look toward the promise of His return. Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to come to his home for a meal. So Jesus accepted the invitation and sat down to eat. A certain immoral woman heard he was there and brought a beautiful jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee, who was the host, saw what was happening and who the woman was, he said to himself, this proves that Jesus is no prophet. If God had really sent him, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus spoke up and answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. All right, teacher, Simon replied, go ahead. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other, but neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave their debts. He kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more? After that, Simon answered, I suppose, the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss of greeting, but she has kissed my feet again and again from the time I first came in. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who does this man think he is going around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Bill. Have you ever been eager about something? Okay, maybe some of you haven't. (laughs) My name's Carl. I'm the senior pastor here. If you're a guest with us today, I just want to take a moment to personally thank you. Whether you're here in service with us or you're visiting with us online. I remember a particular story that some of you are going to find funny. Others will probably maybe sympathize with me slightly. I remember as a kid going, I was at a fair. I can't remember if it was a county fair, state fair. But I remember being at the fair, and I remember 
this particularly intense, um, deep within, yearning eagerness to find a restroom. (laughs) Maybe you have shared in that feeling. But the intensity grew as you don't know where to go. Have you ever been somewhere and you had to go, but you didn't know where to go? This was the plight that I was in. Scurrying about lots of people, and I found myself, saw the big restroom sign, running the restroom. And the, the plot thickens, okay? I realize that only women are talking. And I immediately realize I've made a grave mistake. I've selected the women's restroom. Of course, when things are urgent, you don't really check the details. Thankfully, I was able to escape without sight. Um, No one saw. I was thankful. Can you, can you, I don't know if you've ever had a deep level of thanks that you got out of something that you thought was going to end catastrophically. This was that moment. I I believe even as a young man, I said a prayer. Thank you, God. I'm not in jail. Not going to jail. I was desperate. I was desperate to find the restroom. Now, how do you transition that into a sermon? Well, Many of us today have similar longings. There is a desperate nature to even us in a spiritual sense. Um, And this particular time of the year comes with certain longings and expectations, right? As you get closer, you get out of school. For those who have kids, you get out of school. You go through the rhythms of summer. But even as summer begins to close and the weather gets cooler, what happens? You start thinking about it. You start thinking about Christmas and snow. And then as you get closer through the fall and even Thanksgiving, some of us rush the holiday, right? And you forget Thanksgiving. You just go ahead and put up all the lights. Who's that? Who's that person that puts up Christmas lights pre-Thanksgiving? If you're here, raise your hand. Uh, see, peer pressure. There's some of you in here, I know. Um, there's just an expectancy. There's a, there's a, there's a, oh, I want to get to Christmas. There's this, the lights, the, the food, the presents under the tree, the sights, the sounds. We're just eager for it. We expect, we're, and some, some of us in here are snowbirds, uh, Kirsten's grandparents, they go to Florida. They're eagerly awaiting as temperatures continue to drop, getting to warmer weather. But you know this feeling of longing, this feeling of expectation around Christmas. But what happens the following week? The lights come down. The trees get thrown in an attic. Or away, if you're a natural tree person. 
The Christmas music stops playing. The family goes home. Things get quiet. And all of a sudden, all the things that you had been longing and expecting for just flood away from your hearts and your minds. And, and many are left with this, it's over. It's empty. This emptiness almost comes back to you. There are many today that will do that. Over the coming week, Christmas is Saturday, and I'm so excited. This is my favorite time of the year, but I just know that there are so many that put so much weight on the season that when the season leaves, there is a certain void that is not filled with lights and Christmas music. There's a certain void that's not filled with tacky light tours. There's, there's a void in our hearts. There's a longing. There's an expectation. There's, there's things in us that cannot be cured with pumpkin pie, despite my desire for it too. And look, I eat a lot of pumpkin, pumpkin pie. Um, pecan pie is my favorite. So if, if we're putting in orders, um, you know, okay? My office is around the corner. The commercials culture around us tries to sell us this bill of goods that says, hey, this time of the year, you know, they always pitch the warm fireplaces. And, and you know, Christmas isn't easy for all families. Christmas isn't easy for all families. And many today, can I, can I speak to some of you today who are celebrating a Christmas this week without someone for the very first time? All of those feelings, all of those voids, as the lights come down and <laughs> everything that is supposed to be filled by all this lights and glamour and presence is, will leave you feeling empty at the end of it, unless your focus is Christ. If the holidays, if Christmas is not rooted in Christ, our longings will fade. The, the things that we think will fill them will fade. Um, we cannot be satisfied outside of Christ. Did you know that? This may be news to some of you. You think if your bank account has enough digits in it, um, or if you get the promotion, some of us are really stacking cards. Maybe you're online today, maybe you're here, but your life is just a stack of dominoes and you're like, if I just put things just right, things are gonna be perfect. And it only takes a little for that whole stack to come down on top of you. This is the life we live in. And I can tell you that there's no amount of money, there's no house, there's no job, there's no relationship, no marriage, no husband, no wife, no kid, no friend, no other thing in this, on this side of glory that will satisfy your needs. 
Some of you are waiting for someone else or something else to satisfy you. And we've been preaching for four weeks now that the only thing that satisfies is Christ. Not how good you are, not a box you check, but it is Christ that satisfies. And can I tell you today, there's nothing more relieving than satisfaction. You know the feeling. Christmas dinner's coming up this weekend. You get your full and then you get that little extra plate. You know the plate. The plate you shouldn't get, but you get anyway because it looks so good, it smells so good. Praise God. Get the, get the little extra plate on Saturday. Your pastor says it's fine. I know you're counting calories. It's okay. Just one day. But then you, you get your fill and then you sit down, you're ready for a nap. Anybody else love a nap right after you eat a good big meal? Amen. Hey, that's, that's godly. That's, it's biblical. It's in here somewhere, I know. Listen, that fill, that contentment, there's nothing. Now, eventually that will empty out. But what I'm talking to you about today is that when we're looking for hope, joy, peace, and today we'll talk about love, there is only one place we can find that that will never run dry. It's a contentment, it's a peace that we get to rest in, that we can be rooted in, and guess what? It doesn't fade. It doesn't fade. It doesn't fade. There's a song that says, Jesus satisfies my longing by his blood. I now am saved. So we talked the first week about hope, being satisfied in Christ. The second week, we talked about joy being satisfied in Christ. And last week, Corey did a fantastic job talking about how peace can be satisfied in Christ. And we find ourselves today in chapter 7 of Luke. This may be a different Christmas sermon than you anticipated receiving. But let me tell you where we're at in the chapter. So the beginning of chapter 7 starts with this very familiar story if you've been in church. This centurion sends some Jewish leaders to find Jesus because his slave is sick. One of his slaves, one of his workers is sick, which is odd that he would even send someone to go find Jesus because in that day, uh, if you had a servant who was sick, more than likely you would put them down like a dog, like an animal. Um, but this particular centurion was God-fearing and sent someone said, hey, my worker's sick. I really care for this person. want to take care of him. This is the centurion. This is the guy in the Bible that Jesus marveled at. Now, what do you have to do for Jesus to marvel at you? Great faith. The centurion from a distance. Everybody talked really highly of this guy, found himself undeserving, had a very humble view of himself. He said, if you just say the word, just like I've got soldiers under me, I know if you say the word that sickness has to answer to you. What kind of faith is that? Jesus marveled at it. That's the kind of faith it was. He marveled at it. And Jesus spoke a word from a distance. And the, the, the worker was healed. By a word. 
Right after that, Jesus heals a widow's son, and then he encourages John. But the particular story I want to discuss with you today and look at in regards to Jesus satisfying our longing for love. Looking for love in all the wrong places. I was hoping you were going to sing along, and you've never heard that one in church? That's uh, probably good, okay? That's, that would describe many of you today. Many, many of us look for love in all the wrong places. Um, but this particular scripture is going to tell us what love looks like in a very, very real way. Let me tell you where we find ourselves in this particular story. Jesus has been invited to a Pharisee's house. Everybody say Pharisee. Now, these Pharisees were, how should I describe it? They were good at being good. You know people like that? They just cross the T's. They dot the I's naturally. They're just good at being good. Um, in fact, Pharisees were so good and they loved checking boxes to the point they added 640 plus minus Precepts. Everybody say precepts to the Old Testament. They said, okay, here's this. We're going to add some things to it. Here's some hurdles. Everybody say hurdles. Here's some hurdles to God. And these were Pharisees. Now, it's encouraging this Pharisee invited Jesus over for dinner. Because if you know anything about Jesus, Pharisees didn't like Jesus. They weren't fans. But this particular Pharisee, and we'll learn his name here in a minute. He wanted to get to know Jesus a little more. He invited him over for dinner. Now, you were harshly and very, um, in a real way, judged by who you ate dinner with in this time. Dinner was a very intimate thing. Um, in fact, I, I have this desire in me to see dinner tables be more of a thing in the future. There's a lot of things that can happen at a dinner table. And this particular, um, the way they ate back in the day, and I tried to figure out a way to lay it out here on the stage, but don't picture a dining room table with chairs. Picture um, this spread, and what they would do is they would lay on their left arm, they would lay on the ground, prostrate on these cushions and pillows, and they would lay down, and that's how they would eat kind of propped up on their, their arm. They would eat this way. Doesn't that sound amazing? Why did we stop that? That sounds awesome. Okay, Christmas dinner idea, okay? Have the family over, get rid of the chairs, lay prostrate, get your feet out. Get the Krispy Kreme donuts and the ham. Oh, that's not what y'all are eating? okay. Hot dogs and milk for me. Um, so this is the scene. And, and it's more than just this one Pharisee and Jesus. There's a whole group of men around this table. And they want to question Jesus. They want to figure this guy out. Thank you, sir. But very intimate. So just imagine with me, this story that Brother Bill just read, 
They're eating dinner, they're having conversation, they're laid out, very intimate scene. And then all of a sudden, bust through the door, this woman. Now, not just any woman, the, the scripture tells us that this woman was a notorious sinner. This wasn't your typical, I go to church on Sundays and hide my sin from everybody else. Um, everybody knew this girl. Everybody knew her. And they knew what she was about. Some, some, some commentators would say that it was Mary Magdalene. We don't have a whole lot of proof for that. But what we do know is that what Scripture tells us is that uh, a certain immoral woman from the city shows up at this dinner party. And room full of men eating. And as she comes through the door, just you can hear the door creaking and her step in. And then all of a sudden, weeping, tears flowing, a silence. It just You can hear the chatter just begin to silence. And all you hear is weeping and heaving. Have you ever been that upset? Have you ever been that overwhelmed with emotion? Such a deep sadness, a deep brokenness that, that all you could do was weep. And it wasn't a quiet weep. The scripture would tell us, the Greek would have us see this picture of, this is a, a awkward, would be a good word, weeping, very raw. She heard that Jesus was in town. Now, considering she was immoral, she was a sinner, a public sinner, she was not um, not someone who would be at this dinner party. She didn't get an invite to this party. She was not invited. No one called her up and said, hey, Jesus is in town. You want to swing by? No. As a matter of fact, she would not have been allowed there. Not in the presence of a religious guy like, like, like this guy, Simon the Pharisee, who whose house this dinner was being had at, and she shows up. Now, you remember how they're laying and eating? You remember? She comes to Jesus' feet. She can't get to his head. His head is up at the table. She comes to his feet, weeping, crying. The room is silent. Everybody's watching what's happening here. She begins... The tears from her eyes splashing off the feet of Jesus. No words. No words. She would dry them with her hair. It was quite the scene. She had this really expensive, uh, this, uh, it's called an alabaster box. It's a uh, has no handles on it. It's just got a horn um, to carry expensive perfumes. And this is particularly what she had in it. 
It's just very expensive. Now, this is somebody from the street, okay? This is, this is not someone with a lucrative living. She brought something that cost her probably everything to pour it out on Jesus, to worship him. Do you have a good picture of the scene now? Do you understand what we're seeing? The next words uttered aren't actually physically uttered, they're thought. Look, 39 says, when the Pharisee had invited uh, him, uh, the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, because they were trying to figure out who he was, if he was a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Do you see his posture already? Do do you know? If, If he was the real deal, he wouldn't be allowing this. If he was the real deal, this would not be going on. And this is what he's thinking in his head. You ever thought something that you didn't want other people to know? Oh, I'm going to call for repentance here in a minute. You're thinking it right now. Look at you. I've done this many times. I've, I've done this many times. And the older I get, sometimes it just comes out of my mouth without control. And my wife gets upset. She says, you got to put a filter on. And I'm like, I know. He thought something. This is, this is wild. This is wild. Look at your neighbor say wild. <laughs> Look at verse 40. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Oh, yeah, I know. I know. He read this dude's mail. He didn't utter a word. Jesus read his thought. He heard his thoughts. Can you, what what if, can you just imagine with me if the person next to you could read your thoughts? (laughs) Woody's over here thinking about unicorns. (laughs) I see him. No, I'm just kidding. I, I don't know. I don't know. Golf, maybe. Boy, wouldn't that be awful? And it, look, if you're going to think some weird, mean kind of, and this, this, this wasn't an odd thought to the Pharisee, but he obviously didn't want to say it out loud. But Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have some things to say to you. Can you tell? Look, I'm nervous reading it. I'm nervous for Simon now. I'm nervous. And frankly, if we understood that the God of all creation, your thoughts are not hidden from him. Oh, you thought he can't read your mind. You don't even have to think it. He knows the intentions of your heart. Let me read the room real quick. You're not hiding from Jesus Christ. You're not. But that's not the sermon for today. 
So Jesus responds, and so Simon, he says, go ahead, teacher. He's, he's, he, he feels busted. You ever felt busted? Simon feels busted in the moment. And so he says, go ahead, teacher. And then Jesus tells him this parable. He says, a man loaned um, money to two people, one a bunch of money, and one a little bit of money. But neither of them could pay it back, so um, he forgave both of them. And then Jesus asks a question. Who do you suppose loved him more? The one who owed him a bunch or the one who owed him a little? And, and, and look, Simon nails the answer. He nails the answer. He says, the one who owed more probably loved him the, more, the most. I suppose the one who canceled the larger debt. And Jesus says, you nailed it. Then he turns to the woman. Now, just picture this. Jesus has stopped eating. There's silence in the room. Everybody's watching what's happening. He just read this dude's mind, called him on it, told him a parable, and then turns to this woman. And speaks to Simon. He looks at the woman. He turns to her, talks to Simon, and he lets Simon have it. Look at what he says. Look at this woman kneeling here. And, and, and this is more accurately translated. Do you see her? Can I tell you something? Um, do you see her? I, I think there's something about love that sees people. Sometimes we think that love has to ignore things. Um, love does not ignore things. Uh, Love sees for what it is and loves anyway. So he asked Simon, do you see this woman kneeling here? When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water, but she's washed. Um, watch this. Look how personal and intimate he is about describing this. When I entered the home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet. But she, he says she and her, um, I think she three times her twice. She has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss. That's how people used to say what's up when they came to somebody's house. Anybody doing that? Anybody doing that this Christmas? I'm all about it. Look, if we want to start holy kissing out in the, out in the foyer. Um, look, I had a brother uh, I went to church with. This is a side story. He was a legit holy kisser, okay? And so um, I would come to church on Sunday mornings and look, never got any easier every Sunday. He'd come up and embrace me, give me a kiss right here, right here. You talking about send a shiver up my spine every Sunday, okay? Look, I, I, he was, look, great Bible teacher, cool guy, never said anything to him. Love him to death. Gave, gave me a shiver every Sunday. Anyway, back to the text. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. He's saying, Simon, look at how she is worshiping. Look how she is addressing me. 
Look at the cost. Look at what she's doing. Look at the intimacy. Look at the personal buy-in here. Personal, intimate worship. And then 47, look at this. We just talked about how love sees. Look, I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown much love. You see how he's turning it around? Look, but a person who is forgiven a little, only little, uh, shows only little love. Then Jesus looked at this woman. First words he said to her, your sin. Are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. What I see in this text very, very clearly is a correlation between love and forgiveness. Love and forgiveness. Today, 2021, almost 2022. Can you believe it? I feel like this year is a blur. When we talk about love, Oftentimes, similar to the Pharisee, the Pharisee wouldn't have let any of this stuff go on. You know why? Because she would have had to jump over 75 different hoops just to be in their presence. Seventy-five hurdles to get to Jesus, to get to God. And here we have, look, did you see where it said, I tell you, her sins, as they are many, have been forgiven. This is the best news anyone can get. This is still, in 2021, the best news anyone can find out is that there is someone that can forgive sins. There is someone that can forgive sins. And what we see is this very clear picture of what it looks like to be fully known and fully loved. Can I tell you there's no greater place to be? Some of us spend so much time hiding or thinking that we're hiding that you will never know what true love is. True love is being fully known and fully loved at the same time. There are many that think that in order to be loved correctly, I have to do this list of stuff. Or in order to be loved, I, I, I need to act a certain way, do a certain thing, dress a certain way, talk a certain way. Many of you come to church thinking that, that in order for us to shower love on you, that you have to somehow get squeaky clean. But this woman, in her sin, in her shame, in her humility, in her brokenness, fell at the feet of Jesus, weeping and worshiping. And he did not turn her away. He didn't turn a blind eye. He saw her. He knew everything about her. And loved her and forgave her on the spot. He didn't say, leave here, get your act together and come back. And can I tell you, the church should be that same type of action. Yeah. The church should be a place where, where, where you experience God, where you encounter God in a way that you 
are fully known and fully loved, there is a relief. You know that full tummy I'm ta- I was talking about earlier? That, that fullness, that completeness, that wholeness, that, oh, nothing could go wrong for me now. That it's what, that's what it's like to receive love and forgiveness when somebody knows everything about you, every dark corner of your heart that you won't let anybody see. Jesus sees it and loves you the same. Oh, help us. Love here is correlated to forgiveness, unconditional and free. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his love toward us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While in the midst he saw and loved. The story takes a a twist here. 49, he's forgiven this woman. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that that, that he goes around forgiving sins? Who's this guy forgiving sins? You know why they're asking this question? Because for this young lady, there were some things she had to do to get forgiveness. So who is this guy to forgive sins? You know what this says? Immediately, love is not performance-based. Love is not performance-based. It's Jesus-based. Love it. Somebody, don't tune me out. Don't tune me out. I know you're thinking about lunch. I'm hungry too. I feel I don't eat. I don't eat breakfast on Sunday morning. I get up here a little hungry, so I get a little angry when I preach. That's why. I'm just kidding. That's why I'm on edge every Sunday. That's why I'm shaking things because I'm hungry. I'm having a sugar drop. Um, love is not performance based. In the kingdom of God, there is nothing you can do to earn it. There is not a squeakiness, cleanness that you can get to make him love you more. He loves you right now, not a later version. He loves you right now as much as he ever will. His love has not changed from what happened yesterday to today, and it will not change tomorrow. This is the type of love that satisfies every longing. And you won't find it on this earth. I about took off across this stage a second ago. I felt it go up my spine. I'm so glad they're here. They get me so hyped up up here. Woo! Love is not performance-based, and that is good news. That is good news for me. I am a performer. Can I tell you? I don't know if I have any other performers in the room, but I always want to to lead with excellence. I always want to make the A. I I always want to hit the goal. I don't want to take shortcuts. You can ask my staff about how much I scrutinize over these chairs back here, being straight. I just want things to be right. I want it done right. And and so it can be very easy for me, and, and especially in, in, in relationships and friendships, to try and work to earn things. Can I tell you today, that your performance is invalid. The, the love that you're 
that will satisfy things. Some of us are angry at our spouses and in, in, in wars in our marriages because we're trying to draw a, a, an eternal love from a, 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 um, someone who's not capable. They don't have the resources for it. There's something transforming about this love. Let me make sure I got to get ready to close. There's something transforming about this. Your marriages change when you, when you fill up on the love of Christ. Your marriages change. How you parent changes. How you interact with other people change. All of a sudden, you can go from being a Pharisee that's like, does he know who she is? To a, you're forgiven. Some of you aren't able to forgive because you, you actually have not calculated the forgiveness with which you've been given. Do you see? That's the whole parable. That's the whole parable. That Jesus forgives. Now, understand, neither one of them got a break. The person who owed 500, the person who owed 50, they both owed. And the forgiveness was the same for both. Can I tell you, I think it also affects our worship. I think her worship looked the way it did because she understood what, God, what Jesus was forgiving her of. And I think we can sit in our pews sometimes and, and look down the edge of our nose because we've forgotten. I think we've forgotten. We can oftentimes ignore what Christ forgave you from. I just, I just remember, I just remember, I just remember, and, and currently, I know who my heart, I knew my heart yesterday, and I knew what he forgave me of yesterday. I know what he is forgiving me of. I know what the depths from which he pulled me. Have you forgotten? Christian? And if you're not a Christian today, if you're here or you're online and you say, what forgiveness is this? What love is this? This love died on a cross for you. Hey. Oh, glory to God. This is, this is open to you. This is open to us all. And as the band comes, I, I just, I love this last piece. Look at verse 50. And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. These, these are the greatest words. Go in peace. Can we rewind for a second? Can we rewind just a moment? Her faith in what? She heard Jesus came into town. She heard who Jesus was and what he was up to and what he was doing, what he was capable of. So she ran to this Pharisee's house in boldness, kind of throwing her life on the line. She probably could have been killed for barging in on that setting. But she barged in anyway and fell at the feet of Jesus, knowing who he was, what he could do, the forgiveness he could give. Faith in Jesus Christ saves it does. That's what he tells her. He says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. When this woman showed up,
I don't know if I can describe accurately the level of brokenness she was wearing. Have you, maybe it's been you. She came in broken, full of shame and guilt and hurt. And she left loved, forgiven, and full of peace. Oh, did you know that's what happens here on Sundays? You, oh, you thought we were just singing a few songs and let the preacher yell a little bit. No. People come in here broken, ashamed, full of guilt and hurt. Don't know how, they don't have an answer for their sin. They don't have an answer for their situations. But they can leave loved and forgiven and full of peace. There is only one person who can do that. That's Jesus Christ. There's only one. This isn't a multiple choice. This isn't a hard decision. Jesus Christ is the hope. I can imagine her. I can imagine as she leaves. I can imagine her saying, there is a name I love to hear. I love to sing its worth. It sounds like music in my ear. The greatest name on earth. Oh, how. Oh, how I love Jesus, oh, how I love Jesus, because he first. I remember when he first loved me, when no one else could. I remember it. I remember it because it's daily. I don't know if you've ever felt unlovable or like it's, if they really knew me. If they really knew me. A couple of the other verses. That song, it says, it tells me of a Savior's love who died to set me free. It tells me of his precious blood, the sinner's perfect plea. And there, with all the blood-bought throng from sin and sorrow free, I'll sing the new eternal song of Jesus' love for me. That love can be yours today. I'm not a man of fancy words. It, it, takes me a, it takes me a long time to put these sermons together and not sound like a complete moron. But the one thing that has rang true in every sermon, every letter of this book, that I can love Jesus because he first loved me. While I was yet a sinner, he first loved me when I couldn't see my next step forward. He loved me. 
loves you. Did you know that? He loves you today and he's making a call. I, I want to tell you, if you're online today or maybe you're in person, we're gonna, uh, I'm going to have my leaders come forward. We're going to sing some songs and we're going to worship, but we're going to take some time to pray. And if you today would say, I need to know more about this love, I want you to come forward. There's no shame in that game. We all need that love. I bow my knee at an altar just like this every single day to remind me of that love. This doesn't necessarily mean you've never known his love. I'm not saying this is salvation. If you have never known the love of Christ, today's the day. Come on up. Welcome to the family. Just give him what you got. There's some words you can pray, but just tell him, hey, I'm a sinner. I see it. I need you, Jesus. I love you. Because you first loved me. And if you're online today, I want you to go to tchurch.info and fill out your connection card and let us know how we can pray for you. If you've made a decision for Christ today, you said, I want to follow Jesus. I want to give Jesus a try. I want you to send us that card. But we're going to sing and we're going to worship. I would beg of you this Christmas Sunday to let your worship match the level of forgiveness. I want you to remember, and I want you to worship. I want you to remember his love, and I want you to worship in accordance. Thanks for streaming this audio from Transformation Church RVA, located in Richmond, Virginia. For more information, check out our website at www.transformationrva.com.